following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, before we uh, get into the sermon proper, um, I want to uh, announce something again, which I announced last week, and hopefully most, if not all of you, have heard this by now, but uh, on February 14th, we are going to be going to two services on Sunday mornings, 8.45 and 11. Right now we have one at 10, we're going to have two, 8.45 and 11. And um, if you are hearing that for the first time, you may have some why types of questions, and if you do, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast from last week, because some, although probably not all, of those questions were answered last week. Um, But I want to be as much of an open book as I have time to be, and so I would be happy to speak with anybody who has those why questions. And I know I speak for the rest of the leadership team when I say that as well, and you could speak with one of them if you have any questions. But for now, just know that in, um, uh, what is this, today is the 24th, and we have uh, the 31st, and then February 7th, and then the next one is February 14th. So that's that many weeks. Um, I wasn't counting. Uh, And so uh, it's coming up quickly. And what I want to say to you very briefly before I get into the the topic that I really want to talk about today is that this... Um, this is something that we can be excited about because it gives us an opportunity to invite people into this space uh, who we don't quite have uh, a lot of room to feel comfortable to invite them into right now. Um, I mean, there's empty chairs all around, but also we just sent uh, a, like 7,000 children that way. So um, the room is pretty full, and uh, I would encourage you to look around and see who's missing from among our congregation. Not just specific names, but maybe types or categories of people who we believe would be touched by the gospel in this place and in this context. Who's missing from our room? Now we have space to invite them to come be part of what's going on here. Uh, Well, we will as of February 14th. Um, And then think about your life outside this place as well. Who do you know? Now you can think about specific names. Who do you know who might be able to connect to God in this place, uh, the way you have. And it's pretty simple to think about it if you think about it like this. If Artisan and uh, the ministry that happens here and the community that's been built up here has been a blessing to you in a specific and important way, simply think about somebody else who you know who it might be a blessing to as well and invite them to come on February 14th. Also, there's some... uh, some folks who just kind of like are, eh, they come once in a while, and you might be one of those people, and we love you, and that's okay. But um, if one of the reasons why you only come once in a while is that it's a little bit chaotic, and you're a person who doesn't quite like that much chaos, um, rest assured, it will be less chaotic <laughs> on February 14th. Well, it'll be more chaotic in other ways, uh, systemic ways. But as far as like the, uh, the interpersonal stuff, I think it will be... Um, quite nice for, for some people. And if you're one of those people who sort of has had trouble connecting because it's just too big, um, I'd encourage you, make this your opportunity to, to come more regularly and get connected. So we'll have lots of room on February 14th. I'd love to see us begin to fill the room back up again. Um, okay. <clears throat> so that's that. Two services. Very exciting. Now, we're starting a new series today, and it's entitled Give. Now, I want you to know at the outset, I am aware 
that one of the stereotypes about church, and one that is probably justified and well-earned, is that we're constantly after everybody's money. And I'll say two things very quickly about that before I move on. One is that I get it, and I want you to know I'm just as creeped out by that kind of vibe as all of you are, right? Um, And actually, it probably has resulted in me talking about and teaching about giving less frequently than would have been healthy for our community for me to have done because I am right there with you, and I I get it. Um, But the second thing I want to say about that is that I, despite that, am going to unapologetically ask you to become givers and bigger givers, uh, big broad sense of those words, during this series. So I hope that having said both of those things, I've given you a reason to stick with me, uh, at least for a little while. Because the the reason is, I, I actually believe that giving is good for you. As a matter of fact, that's the title of today's message. That's the first title in this little series about giving. Giving is good for you. And to make this point, I want to share with you three teachings of Jesus. Uh, And I've arranged these three teachings uh, in order from the most generalized to the most specific. And the reason I do that is this. My contention is always that when you try to apply these ancient scriptures, these ancient teachings to the present day, the best place to start is with broad, sweeping generalizations. They're more likely to have a quick application to our culture and time, which is, after all, very different from Jesus' own. Now, that's not to say that the more specific, detailed uh, stories and points don't have anything to offer us. In fact, they do, and we'll get to one at the end. The third story is actually quite specific. But the, the reason I start with the more general is because the specific ones tend to be a little bit slipperier, a little bit more slippery, a little bit harder to grasp, harder to apply. And so it's important to have the principles in place first. And the principles will help us interpret the the specifics and the details. That's true for all different kinds of scripture, right? So let's start with the general teaching. This one is so general, as a matter of fact, that it doesn't even mention money or giving at all. But it is a teaching about the most important thing. I'll summarize it for you, but if you are the type of person who likes to read the exact words, I encourage you to do that. It's in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Um, and uh, this typeface makes the zeros look like eights. Just I want to apologize in advance uh, for that if you're confused. I'm not going to read through 48. I'm not going to read it at all, but I will summarize it, I think, quite accurately, and you can read it on your own. This teaching arises in question, in response to a question from a lawyer. How many people uh, were addicted and stayed up late at night watching Making a Murderer in the last couple of months on Netflix? Um, Yeah. Uh, There were some great scenes where lawyers were trying to catch people saying something that they didn't want to say. This is one of those cases, too. A lawyer comes and asks Jesus, what commandment in the law, and by this he means the Jewish law, because they were Jewish people, which one is the most important? Now, this is a trick because there's not supposed to be one that's more important than the others. You're supposed to follow them all. All But in his answer, Jesus is clear that there is, in fact, a hierarchy of obedience to God's laws. Here's what he taught. He taught that loving God 
with every fiber of our being. He specifically says heart, soul, and mind. That's the most important commandment in the entire Jewish religion. And he went on to say that there's a second commandment that's a a sibling to the first one, which is that we should love our neighbors the same way we love ourselves. And the reason that Jesus could say that there's a hierarchy of importance in God's law and that these two are at the top is this. He said that every single law that there was, every single religious teaching, every single prophetic writing, they could all be summarized with these two laws. Love God with everything and love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And so, if you want to know the Jesus way, whether it's something big or something small, you hold up this pair of glasses. It has two lenses. Love God and love your neighbor. What should you think about war? Something very big. (laughs) Love God and love your neighbor. How should you make the decision about which car to purchase and drive? Something very small. Love God and love your neighbor. Can you find a way to love God and your neighbor when you're thinking about war and when you're thinking about which car to purchase? I think you actually can. It requires a little bit of dexterity, a little bit of uh, spiritual agility, but it's doable. These two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, are our starting point for everything. Yes, even for our money. What do we do with our money? Two things. Love God, love our neighbor. With everything you've got, including your bank account. That's the first teaching. Love God and love your neighbor. The second teaching gets a little bit more specific. This one is, in fact, a teaching about money. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. If you'd like to look it up, you may. I will quote this one more directly, though. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Now, I've joked before that uh, preaching on the Sermon on the Mount is a particularly challenging thing to do, because not only are you, uh, as a pastor in these cases, being called to give a sermon about a sermon, but you're being asked to give a sermon about a sermon that Jesus preached, (laughs) right? Um, It's like, um, yeah, do what Jesus said. (laughs) Well, what more do you want me to say? I mean, stuff is ephemeral. It doesn't last. And clinging to ephemeral possessions, stuff that doesn't last, binds your heart to an ephemeral existence. And when your heart is bound to an ephemeral existence, you will be inhibited from seeing God's kingdom reality. This eternal reality, which 
he very much wants to bring to bear in our world even today. You can't see it or become a part of it when you are bound up in an ephemeral existence because you have too much stuff and you care too much about it. That's what he means, I think, when he says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Um, have you ever gotten a new thing that's really great and really valuable? And then some grubby little child wants to put their hands on it? <laughs> and you're like, no, no, no. No, no, that's 64 gigabytes. No, you cannot touch that. <laughs> Look at the glass. No. Right? Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. So that's the second teaching. Let's look at the third teaching. This is where it gets quite specific, actually, and we may have to work a little harder to apply this one to our lives. This is a story from Matthew 19. Three stories from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. It's a story of a young man who comes to Jesus and asks him a question. And this time, he's not asking a question the way the lawyer asked the question. He's not trying to trap Jesus or trick him into saying something that will condemn him. He's, I think, an honest seeker of the truth, and he has a question for Jesus. He asks him a big question, capital B, capital Q, big question. And the big question he asks is this, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This is a question that we are all somewhat concerned with. Now, I grew up in the church, and uh, there was a, in my church setting, there was a very significant preoccupation with what you had to do or say or think to, to receive eternal life. It was, it was always on the table. It was always, it was the, you know, it was the elephant in the room at every moment. This man is asking a question that that we asked a lot in Sunday school and in youth group and in sermons and all the rest of it. Uh, If you didn't grow up in church, you may not have this question in this exact way, but I bet you have a similar one that you could think of. Jesus said to him, first of all, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. Then he answers the question. If you wish to enter into life, Keep the commandments. The man said to him, uh, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. These are part of the Ten Commandments. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? And the young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? So this man, who was very devout, lacked something, and he knew that he lacked something. That's why he went to ask Jesus the question in the first place. Jesus did not give him an answer that he didn't already know. He just knew that answer wasn't enough. He just knew that keeping this or that commandment, or all of them, wasn't actually the way to enter into eternal life. And perhaps you sense something lacking in your own life. Even if you are also a very devoted spiritual religious person. 
Perhaps if Jesus were here in the flesh today, available to answer any of your questions, you might have some questions for him. You might have a similar question for him. You might ask Jesus, I've done everything I think I'm supposed to do. Why do I still feel empty? And Jesus knew that the man still felt empty, and he knew why. And so he gave him one more commandment, a commandment that, as far as I know, doesn't actually exist in the Jewish law. He said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Again, does this sound familiar? Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Jesus says to him, sell everything, give it away, then come and follow me. And the man said, no thank you. And he went away empty and sad, the same way he had come to Jesus in the first place. Now let's talk about how to apply this most specific of the three teachings because we're almost to the point where it's time to take something home with us, right? As I see it, there are two mistakes we could make here. The first mistake is to assume that because Jesus told this man to do this thing, that we should therefore all do that same thing because that's how he defined what it means to follow Jesus, regardless of who you are. Now, uh, that would perhaps be an admirable conclusion to draw and uh, an admirable step to take, undoubtedly. But I don't think that's quite how we are asked to apply these specific teachings. Um, Not usually. You may disagree with me, but hold up. It's irrelevant. For me to say that that's a mistake is irrelevant, and I'll tell you why. Because none of us have done it in the first place. (laughs) You are all here. You all have at least one thing in your pocket. You have all disobeyed this commandment, if indeed we were all supposed to follow it precisely. Myself included. 64 gigabytes right here. (laughs) I almost think, actually, that that first mistake is a trap of the devil. You say to yourself, well... I haven't sold everything I own, so I'm obviously a failure at living living the Jesus way. And since I'm already a failure, I mean, one more guitar couldn't hurt. I might as well get the heated seats. Heated seats are nice. I don't have them in my car, but I've borrowed a car that has them, and that's how I know. Right? You think that it's all or nothing. And since it's not going to be all, you might as well enjoy the nothing. Right? Come on, right? That's the excuse that we all make. Don't get distracted by the false choice between all or nothing because it is a false choice. No, I think there's another mistake, and that's the one we have to worry about. And the, the bigger mistake is the second mistake, which is missing the point. Right. 
Jesus told the man to give away everything that he had because in that man's case, it was his possessions that were preventing him from following Jesus. He didn't tell everybody who wanted to follow him to sell everything. This isn't the only person he told that, but they didn't tell everybody that. The broader point is that sometimes, maybe lots of times, our possessions prevent us from following Jesus. What possessions do you have that prevent you from following Jesus? That's a question that none of us wants to answer, right? You're just like, la, 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 la. If I don't say anything, I won't have to give it up. But that's where, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we get to the whole point about giving. Remember giving? It's a sermon about giving. <laughs> giving is good for you. Why? Because when you keep everything, you lose yourself. To paraphrase something else that Jesus said in another passage, which I didn't even get to read to you today. When you keep everything, you lose yourself. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Giving is good for you because when you keep everything, you lose yourself. So, I have an entirely unclever application that I'm going to ask you to make from all of this. So I want you to get out a pen and a piece of paper or your notes app on your device of whatever sort you carry. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of something that you can give away this week. And I want you to write it down. And I want you to give it away. Now, I'm not asking you to give money to Artisan Church right now. It's important that you give money, if this is your church, to the church, because we really can't do anything that we do without your money that you give to church. But today I am more concerned with how all sorts of giving has a positive effect on your soul. So I don't care what you give, and I don't care where you give it. We'll talk about giving to church next week. But this week, I just want you to give something away, anything. It might be that you already have a pattern of giving to the church or to something else. Maybe you give a little more. That's a simple way to do it. Maybe there's something uh, that uh, you own that you've been clinging to. And it's time to let go of it. Give it away. Take a moment and write down what you will give away this week. And I didn't think about this ahead of time, but I'm going to do it too. I should really do those kind of things ahead of time because every time I try to do that little exercise with you, I realize something about myself that probably should have made it into the sermon. What I realized about myself just now is that I, uh, the thing that I decided I would give away, I'm already thinking about how I could replace it with a different one. 
<laughs> oh, God help us. Okay, you know what you're going to give away this week? Giving is good for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, giver of all life, we thank you for Jesus, for the teachings that we can receive from him regardless of what we believe or don't believe about who he is. We pray that as we try to give something away this week, that it would actually have the intended effect of of loosening our grip on our possessions and of restoring the brokenness that's in our souls. Help it to be not just a single act, but a first step toward a broader life of generosity and sacrifice. We pray through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite you now to come and receive this greatest of gifts, the sacrament of Holy Communion, the very body and blood of the Savior, a reminder of His great sacrifice. This is not the table of the church, but of the Lord, and so... Each one of you is invited to come and receive if you are following the Lord in this place. You don't need to be a member of our church or of any church. You just need to be trusting Jesus with your life and for your salvation. You can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in either the wine or the juice. Please do choose the one that would be most appropriate for you and your family. Uh, Children are welcome to take communion with you. If you'd like to get them and have them be part of this, you're encouraged to do that. If you'd like to take communion without them, please go get them right as soon as you're done. And as always, we'll have a member of the prayer team sitting here under the cross at the front of the room. If you have something that you'd like to receive personal prayer for, you are invited to come and receive that from them. Let's continue to worship him in song and at the table of the Lord. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.